But the battlefield happens between our ears. It happens in our minds. That in many ways, that is a very, very difficult, very tough battlefield. And to see if we can get this battle down, we can put ourselves in a place to be able to understand and get things like grace and mercy and peace and faith and hope and love. I have spent lots of time in my life and my ministry Talking to people who are believers, who know Jesus, who have had a life with Christ, but yet miss out on this thing. There is a battle in their minds, there's a battle in their hearts that they're missing out on so much. And the problem is because they're losing the battle for their minds. The enemy knows us intimately and closely. He knows how to get us. He knows we can get into our minds, that he can bring some, some problem in our lives. But the truth this morning is this, that God is far bigger and far greater than that. But God's called us to some things to put us in that place to be transformed and be made new. And we'll get into this in a little bit. We're going to look at things like attitude and things like thankfulness, defeating worry, overcoming strongholds, understanding the mind of Christ as it talks about in 1 Corinthians 2.16. That's truth. But there's something to establish first this morning. We're going to start here. And it might seem like a little bit of a basic thing, and that's okay. This is the basic truth this morning, is this, is that we as believers, we as Christians, are called to live differently, right? You're like, wow, that is such a, you know, <laughs> such a, a revelation. Well, we, we know this, don't we? We're called to live differently. We're called to live, as I just say a lot of times, we're called to live counterculturally. And that is the struggle sometimes, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I know me, and I know that there's a struggle deep within my heart to live according to our culture and the world around us. The world around us has a certain level of rules and patterns and ideals and things that God has called us to come out of and live differently. It's a basic thing, but so often in our lives, we struggle with that as believers, don't we? If you're like you, I, maybe you're better than me, but we struggle with those things in our lives to live, actually live differently. It, it sometimes, it seems to put us a little bit out of sync with the world around us. If you're, if you're not a believer this morning, you're here, and I'm so happy that you're here this morning. Uh, you know that Christians are a little bit different, right? That's not, that's not newsflash to you. Uh, we're, we're different. That's just the truth this morning, and... and you know, I, I would argue this morning, if you're, if you're not a believer here, uh, the reason we're different is because we're called to live differently. God's called us to live like that. And the truth this morning is this, is that the way the world thinks and operates and does things and moves the direction it's going in, I don't have to be a believer this morning to know this, it's not going in a great direction, isn't it? There's a lot of things happening in our world today that are not great. They're not good. God's called us to live differently, to live better. There is a better way. The better way is not a religion. It's not a set of rules of do's and don'ts and all those kind of things. It's not like that. The better way is to live as a follower of Christ. Living as a follower of Christ is an awesome thing. It's an amazing life. But sometimes that life puts us a little bit out of sync with the world around us, doesn't it? 
at no time is that more evident than we're sitting down to Thanksgiving meal with your family members who are not believers, right? You know how that works. You sit down and just sometimes feel a little bit out of sync, don't you? Well, that's the, there's a reason for that. God's called us to live different lives. Check out Romans 12, 2 this morning. Uh, it's a great scripture. It says this, and many of us probably know this by heart today. It's, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What a great piece of scripture. I love Romans. If you know me by now, you know I love the book of Romans. It's a fantastic book. And this is a great piece of scripture this morning. We're going to focus today on two words in this for the next few moments. We're going to focus on conform and transform. Now in football, if you're going to win games, you have to have something going on before you actually play the game. That stinks right there. Wow. Lost my notes. That's not very good. Anyway, if I mess up today, it's because my notes just got all messed up. Anyway, so um, we're going to continue on. Hope that hopefully they did not get out of, out of order too much. But in, in football, you have to plan. You have to have a plan before you play the game. When you're playing football, you don't just walk out in the field and just have your thing, play your game. That's all, that's all. You have to have a plan going in if you're going to play football professionally. And, 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 and in, football, in football terms, that's called the playbook. Now, I actually have, this is the real thing right here, thanks to Nathan Idy down here. Nathan got me the 2014 Minnesota Vikings Player Policy Handbook. This thing is hot, man. I'll tell you what, it's like burning my hand right now. No, this is probably not, we're probably not supposed to have this, are we? Let's be honest here. Uh, This is not the playbook, but this is the second command of the playbook. The coaches and the staff of the Vikings have set up some things that they want players to do and to think when confronted with the situation. For instance, if you're playing football and you're, and you're, you're the quarterback or you're the, de- the defender and the quarterback's looking down the, uh, the, the tight end, you need to know what to do in those situations. That's called the playbook. You know, how you respond to that, that stuff. How you respond when you have a deep pass or how you respond when you have a little shovel pass to the, to the running back. Well, those, those things are all part of, the, of a book called the playbook. Coaches put those together because they want their players to operate under a certain level of plays and patterns and systems and ways. Coaches of the Vikings have said, we want our players to play a certain way, to do a certain thing. The other day I was watching uh, when the Vikings lost to the Packers. Uh, just because I like, uh, I like to be uh, uh, tortured, I watched the, the post-game interviews. And uh, Coach Zimmer afterwards was talking about how, you know, why did you lose the game? All well, this kind of thing. And he said, well, their players weren't running their routes properly. See, routes are patterns. They weren't doing the things, they weren't putting themselves in a place so that we could win the game and, and, and cause things to happen. Now, I argue there's a lot more problems than that that day. But, you know, the truth today is this, is that they weren't, they're missing out on their patterns. See, the world has a playbook too, doesn't it? The world has a playbook. The, the, we, we, we all know it's not written down. We, we know the playbook is. We know that, you know, if you're in a situation that calls for a, a cheating or, or lying, well, as long as you don't hurt somebody else, it's okay if it gets you ahead, right? 
You know, the world says, well, you know, to be honest with you, uh, it's not that big of a deal if somebody cuts you off, you cut them off back. You give them the little bird and that kind of thing. That's the playbook of the world, right? Well, when we become believers, we receive a new playbook. We receive a new set of, of, of truth, a new set of reactions to how things happen and how things world around us. That's the idea here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. When, when God, when you, the word says, do not conform to the patterns of the world, you see what's happening here. God's calling us to live with a different playbook. The problem is, is that we know the world's playbook so well, we see it every day before our eyes, we see people around us. It's hard to break out of that playbook, isn't it? It's hard to break away from those things and go back to what God's called us to live. That's where transform comes in. Transform here in the scripture, the original Greek word here is metamorphu. Good word, right? Metamorphu. That's a good, it's a good thing. You can kind of hear this is leading us this morning. God's called us to be metamorphosized or literally transformed from the inside out. That's the kind of life God's called us to live. And so in my hands today, I hold a just gripping tale. Uh, this is the book called The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And this right now is my daughter Amelia's favorite book. Every time uh, we go, I put her to bed, I say, well, we ought to read tonight. She says, Hungry Caterpillar. And so I, I just about know this book by heart. And let me tell you, it's gripping. You know, the, the way it works right here basically is this. Uh, the, 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 the caterpillar is on a leaf, and he eats some more leaves. And he eats an apple, he eats a pear, he eats a grape, he eats all kinds of things. The last day, uh, on Saturday, he eats through cake and ice cream. And he has a good day. Pickles, cheese, salami, and he's all kinds of stuff. And then the next day, he has a tummy ache. Well, of course he does. He just ate a lot of food. And so he eats a leaf that Saturday. And then on Sunday, so to, so, with, amazingly enough, on Sunday, this little caterpillar puts himself into a cocoon. And then this amazing mystery happens. And then it says two weeks later... He emerges as a beautiful butterfly. All right, that's, that's a pretty cool story. I just, again, I've read it almost every night for the last year and a half or so. So I know it very well. The idea here is this, is that that caterpillar is transformed to something entirely different. There's a mystery that takes place inside of that cocoon. Wouldn't you like to get a camera to go inside that, cat, that cocoon and see what actually takes place inside there? That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Well, the reality is you probably won't be able to because it's a mystery. How does this caterpillar go from being a caterpillar to being a beautiful butterfly? It's an absolute wonderful mystery. The truth is, though, is that caterpillar has little to do with his metamorphosis, doesn't he? He has little with the actual, the actual place of transformation. What he does is he puts himself in a place to be metamorphosized or changed or made new. That's the truth, and that's the, the, the thing we can, we can find this morning here, is that I've heard a lot of preaching of pastors who talk about the, the, the being conformed and being transformed, like it's something that we can do. The truth this morning is this, is that you know and I know we have tried to live this life, and so often we find ourselves coming short, don't we? We find ourselves coming short of, the, of being transformed. We find ourselves so easily conformed to the world. We need help in this. And that's why Romans chapter 12, verse 2, in its entirety, 
is such good news for us. How are we transformed? Well, at least in part, we're transformed, as the scripture says here, by the renewing of our mind. That sounds such a weird kind of new agey thing, doesn't it? It's simple, really. We're transformed when we allow the word of God to change us and, ch- and challenge us and allow the word of God become a new playbook for us so that when we're confronted with something, we think and act, do things differently. And all of a sudden we happen, what, what finds what we find is that God, we put ourselves in a place where God can metamorphosize us, change us, and transform us into something entirely different and entirely new. That's good news. It's good news. You don't have to work harder and work, 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 and say, God, I'm not this, I'm not that. No. Get to know his word and allow his word to change your mind, and allow his word to change your heart and transform you, and you become a different person because of what God has done in our lives. It's all him. It's not us. We put ourselves in a place to be transformed by Jesus Christ. Let's get down where this hits us every single day. If you and I sat down and had a heart-to-heart talk on some things in our lives that we struggle with, we have a hard time with, things that are challenging for us physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, so many of these things could come back to a root, come back to an issue where it's a battle for our minds. You can get this this morning. You can think differently. You can react differently. You can live differently. You can live like Jesus has called us to live. This morning, one of the first parts of our playbook today is this. It's getting our attitude right. You've ever before seen those people that oftentimes are in Walmart. I don't know why, but they're in Walmart. But they come out of Walmart and they have those attitude t-shirts now. You ever seen them before? You know, like, I got my bad attitude. I got a picture up here of a, there we go, warning, bad attitude. You know, you ever see those, those pictures, just want to walk up to that person, give them a big hug and hand them a puppy. You know, it's like, you can't have a bad day with a puppy in your hands, right? I mean, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's just me, maybe that's just what I want to do. But I want to give a person a big, huge hug and say, man, it's going to be a better day, right? Usually, you look at those shirts, you look at the person's face, and you find that the face and the shirt match pretty well, right? You don't see a lot of happy people. You don't see a lot of people with smiles on their faces wearing a bad attitude t-shirt. Maybe that's why they bought the t-shirt. I don't know. But our attitude is a big deal. If you want to find things to gripe about, you can find them. You will always find them. If you want to find things, you want to find God at work, to find God's, the power of God's Holy Spirit transforming lives, the goodness of God, his blessings in your life every single day, you will find those things too. Attitude makes a massive difference. Think about a hummingbird and a, a vulture. A vulture, what does a vulture find? A vulture finds dead things, right? It finds, you know, dead carcasses or dead animals. That's what they find. What does a hummingbird find? A hummingbird finds, you know, nectar and flowers and sweet things, right? Well, the difference is, is what they're looking for. They're looking for these things. Dead things, negative things to complain about and whine about, you're going to find those things. But if you want to find things, uh, you'll find God's presence and his goodness, and you can find those things as well. That's why this is so important. Listen to the word of Hebrews eleven six. It says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That is a massive scripture for us as believers. Without faith, it is impossible to believe God. Faith produces a life that's pleasing to God. Your attitude has a massive effect on your faith that you have in your life. 
Proverbs 23, 7 in the NASB says this. For as a man thinks within himself, so is he. If you think about, that's the direction you'll go. The 15-year-old Steve Rolls, he thought a lot about girls and food. Well, guess what? My 15-year-old life was about girls and food, you know. And so, you know, so much of my life was about what I thought about. What you think about so often takes you in that direction. It takes you in the ways that you're going to go. Your attitude is an outward reflection of what's going on inside of your life. Your attitude is an outward reflection of what's going on inside of your life. Think about that for a minute this morning. If anger and frustration and indifference and disappointment and cynicism, rebellion, if these things are in your life, they're going to work their way out eventually. It's going to happen. But thankfully, this works on the flip side, too. If in your heart and in your life, there's peace and thankfulness and joy and love and contentment, these things work their way out as well. We cannot underestimate the power and the importance of attitude. Now, with all that in mind this morning, look at Philippians 2.5. This is such a challenging scripture. It's a simple scripture. It's a truthful scripture this morning. It's this. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Wow. I mean, think about that for a minute this morning. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Now, I want you to pause and look back in your life and think about your life right now. Does that reflect your life? Is that the kind of life what's going on inside of you this morning? How's your attitude today? Is that, is your attitude like Jesus? And I gotta be honest with you today, mine is not always, especially in the mornings when I get up and my girls wake up, you know, on days like this and we get to sleep in the extra day. When you have toddlers, you don't get to do that. Uh, your attitude's not always the best. I'll be honest with you, my attitude's not always like Jesus. And you know what? Neither is yours. None of us is, right? It's not like that. But if living like Jesus is the goal of our lives, it should be. Jesus is our yardstick. He's the, he's the one, he's the life with which we need to measure our lives and measure our attitudes this morning. So if living like Jesus is how it's supposed to be, let's look at places in Scripture where he challenged attitudes. Let's find a spot right here where he did that. Luke chapter 9 this morning, starting in verse 51. It's a, a passage where Jesus has an, has an interaction with some of his followers that shows us what attitude is supposed to be like today. Starting in verse 51, Luke 9, 51. As the time drew near for him to, be, to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Verse 52, he, he sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. Uh-oh, Samaria. You know, Samaria, that's a, a big deal, right? If you've been... In Sunday school, you know, Samaria is kind of one of those buzzwords. Samaria was a part of, of, of Israel. And Samaria was a part of Israel that was not a popular place. It's not a, not a popular place. The Samaritans who lived, there were a, a splinter group of, of sorts from the Jews. And the Samaritans were actually even worse than a splinter group. They were family members. The Samaritans and the Jews were cousins. And the history of this goes all the way back to the beginning of the formation of Israel when Jacob, who was the father of Israel, had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became 12 tribes. And those 12 tribes were given part portions of land in the new land, Israel, the promised land. Each one of those tribes were given, this, given the land. And the favorite son, the, the most popular son, there was 12 sons, the most popular one, of course, was Joseph. 
And Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, <clears throat> were given the best land in Israel. They were given the land known as Samaria. So years later, the Israeli family started divided into two kingdoms, North Kingdom, South Kingdom. Uh, the North Kingdom split off, and they began to kind of go after this strange mix of Judaism and this other, other religions. And they had this weird thing going on. And the South Kingdom really, really, really despised them for what they did. And so the North Kingdom, or the Sumerians, hated the South Kingdom and vice versa. Then you find later on, in later scripture, in the Old Testament story, you find that, uh, uh, that the south kingdom was trying to rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been destroyed, you know, that kind of thing. This is hopefully, hopefully for many of us, this is a review, but uh, had, had, had destroyed Jerusalem. The south kingdom wanted to go in and, and bring it back. And so what happened was the Sumerians didn't want it to happen because they were afraid that if that would happen, that, you know, the things had gone back to God and they didn't want that. So what they did is they tried to undermine the, 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 the growth and undermine the reconstruction of Jerusalem. It was a, a terrible thing. There was a massive rift between the Samaritans and the rest of Israel. So into that mix right there, you have this story, this passage. Verse 53 people of the village, I'm going to kind of clarify this a little bit by saying people of the village had an attitude. Okay, that's not scripture, but that's a little clarification there. People of the village had an attitude and did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. You catch that there? People of Samaria um, did not welcome Jesus into their camp because Jesus was going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem were the other guys. They're the bad guys. But Jesus loved them and had to go through there. They did not welcome him, him in. That's pretty terrible. Then verse 54, when James and John saw this, they developed an attitude. And they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven to burn them up? Now imagine someone comes to your door that you don't like very much. They open the door, they knock on your door, you open the door, and they're, they're there. And instead of saying, hey, come on in, we're glad you're here, you say, get out of here. I'm calling down fire from heaven to burn you up. That's a bad attitude, isn't it? Uh, that would be pretty terrible. These are the followers of Jesus. These are James and John. This is their reaction. They had a bad attitude. Their attitude was changed. Their attitude was influenced by their nation. And, 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 and so Jesus, in verse 55, Jesus turned and rebuked them. Why? Well, again, remember, your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. The problem in this passage is this, is that, again, these guys allowed their history to influence their attitude and not the word. That's a big, big, big problem this morning. So let me pause for a minute today. I want to ask two questions of reflection here. Two questions. Number one, is in response to this passage, number one, am I approaching life with a worldly attitude or a godly attitude? Think about that for a minute this morning. Am I approaching my life with a worldly attitude or a godly attitude? Am I approaching my life with the attitude that Jesus would have? Or the attitude that my culture and the world around me would have? Am I approaching my attitude with, with, with God in mind and faith and, and, and hope and love? Am I approaching with that or something different? See, these guys right here found something different. And of course we know it's nearly impossible to do this on our own. We've got to ask the next question as well. Is my attitude conformed to the people around me or transformed by God's word? These guys should have known better. 
earlier in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is teaching them about, you know, loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Certainly their, their cousins, the Samaritans, would have qualified with this, right? If they would have thought about that, they would have known the kind of life Jesus wanted them to live, but yet we find here they didn't get it. Why? Their attitude was conformed to their, to their history, conformed to what's going on, and not transformed by the word of God and by Jesus Christ. It's a massive difference in our lives. i got to be honest, it's a hard change, isn't it? When things happen in our, in our lives and things happen in our world, it's hard to let the word of God change us and form us and make us to be people that think and have an attitude like Jesus Christ has. What if James and John had taken Jesus' attitude to heart? What if James and John had actually done things like Jesus wanted them to do? That's the point here. That's the idea here. They didn't do that, and they rebuked for it. I'm going to do this right this morning. I've got to ask, is my attitude worldly or godly? Is it conformed or is it transformed? Here's a truth this morning I want to share with you, and the truth is, is this. Attitude has consequences. Attitude has consequences. Look today at Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 5. As you go there today, we'll set the stage. Adam and Eve had children. We know there's children. They had many children, but their, their first and most famous ones were Cain and Abel, and Cain and Abel were, were brothers. Cain and Abel, of course, we know had a massive problem between them. Of course, they were their, their brothers. And they had a deeper issue here going And so, um, there's sin in the world, God, or the sin had been brought in. God had prevent, provided a, a way of salvation through sacrifices. Sacrifices were supposed to be the best of the best. And let's look what happened with Cain and Abel here, starting in verse 5. But he, God, did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Abel got, brought God his best. Cain brought God the rest. That's a whole other passage there, but the, the truth here this morning is this, is that Cain brought just what was left out of his life, he brought what was left out of his sacrifice, it wasn't a big deal, and he was angry, and he was mad, and he was, had an attitude of bitterness towards his brother, he's upset about this, so we, we look on here, rather than look at himself and, and deal with his mistake, and he got mad at his brother, his attitude had changed, looks, looks, at verse 6 right here, God says, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? This is good right here, verse 7. You will be accepted if you do what's right. And the kicker here. But if you, do, if you refuse to do what's right, change your attitude, make things right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. You must subdue it and be your master. Or be its master. I love the imagery here. It's like a sin is a, a crouching tiger sitting at his door, waiting to pounce based on his attitude. He let his attitude dictate the kind of thing he was going to do. Attitude has consequences. That's where I want to deal with you another truth today, and it's this. If you get nothing else this morning, please get this. If you don't deal with it as an attitude, you will deal with it as an action. If you don't deal with it as an attitude, you will deal with it as an action. When I was in college, I, was, uh, I had a little bit, little bit of an anger problem. Let's just be honest with you this morning. And uh, there was one time I had a roommate who never did his dishes. And that sounds like a dumb little thing, but to be honest with you, I was mad as could be about this. He would, I would do my dishes. My other, we had three guys, 
The one guy would do his, but then this dude never, ever, ever did his dishes. And it ticked me off. And there was one time, I remember, when he didn't do it, and I had talked to him about it. We had his little arguments, and I stormed out of our apartment, and I got my Ford Taurus, and I drove down the, down the road. And I was going to work, and I did a dumb thing. I drove angry. Driving angry is stupid, okay? Just don't do that. I was doing that. I was driving angry, and I was weaving in on traffic. I was driving fast. I was angry. I was ticked at this guy. I pulled off the road down in Bloomington and onto the Friends Road, and you know what's happening next. Uh, right behind me, there was colorful flashing lights, and this policeman had followed me for a while and said, i got to be honest with you, I could get you for reckless driving as well because you are driving terrible. He gave me a ticket, and that was all that he did. He did. It was a wonderful thing. And I learned a valuable lesson that day. Don't drive angry. <laughs> but I learned a bigger lesson that day was this, is that your attitude has consequences. And if you deal with it, if you don't deal with it first as an attitude, you will as an action. Think about your life and what's happened in your life up to this point in your life. How many times has it happened in our lives? We have an, a, a, an attitude that's not reflective of Jesus Christ. And we have an attitude that is angry or bitter or indifferent or upset or whatever else. And we let that thing grow and fester and continue and move until finally we deal with it as a problem. Until finally we have the cops behind us. Why does it always have to be that way before we wake up? It doesn't. Again, Romans 12, 2 gives us a better way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is. His good, his pleasing, and perfect will. If you want to get out of this, this vicious cycle, this is how we deal with this attitude that stinks. First of all, you've got to recognize it as a problem. We have to realize and see that this attitude thing that we have in us is not just a small little big deal. That This is a massive problem that we have to deal with. If you've got bitterness or anger or indifference or whatever else, God, help me to realize that that is not a good thing. I want to change that. That's number one. And then number two, replace it with truth. See, if you just know it's a problem, it's, well, that's, it's a problem like, all I can do, well then nothing's going to happen. You've got to replace that attitude with truth. You've got to take it and change it. The way that I was able to have victory over my anger and my, my, my bitterness when I was a young person is I had to start putting the word of God in my life. Someone challenged me, Steve, start praying scripture into your life. So I'd open up the word and the Psalms. And I'd pray, God, make me this person. Make me that person. Lord, I'm not there yet. I want to think like you think. I want to act like you act. I want to be like you have called me to be. Lord, change my attitude with truth and the truth of your word. Let, let's get real this morning. We, we know this, don't we? We know that this is the way it is. Don't we? We know this is how it works. The problem is we know it, but not enough to actually do something about it, right? We've got to take action and say, God, change me. I want your word in my life. I want to be different. Think of this morning about your, your favorite attitude. Is that, is that taking, taking you where you want it to go? Think about your attitude of bitterness or anger or whatever else it might be. Is that taking you where you want to go? Or think about your good attitude. Is that taking you where you want to go? Attitude will take you far or take you no, no place. It's up to you. It's your choice. Where is it going to take you? Is it where you want to go? If you feel worthless, if you feel that 
No one cares about you. They feel that your life is, has no value, no purpose, and no importance. Guess what's going to happen? When God speaks to you and says you have purpose and you have reality, when, when God says in things like Psalm 139, 14, where it says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. When God speaks that into your life, if your attitude says it's not true, you are not going to believe God's word. It's not going to change you. It's not going to challenge you. God's blessed everyone but me. It's an attitude that has got to stop if you're going to find freedom and find victory in your life. How about the attitude about our church? Is the attitude about our church that this is a great church, that God's called us to great things, that we're, that we're going to make a difference in our community? Those things are backed by Scripture. God's called us, God's equipped us, and God's given us to this community. If our attitude says it's not true, if our attitude says, well, you know, things don't happen here, things doesn't, don't make it here, then guess what's going to happen? That will be our reality as a church. We can approach church with faith and say, God, I'm excited to go to church today. Lord, I'm excited for what you want to do today. Lord, I want to see you do great things at Bridgeview Assembly of God. If that's our attitude, God will respond with good things. Why? It's based on scripture this morning. And the third element today is this. The key element is to be transformed. And folks, that's God's part. We can't do that. I cannot transform myself and neither can you. But you know who can? God. When you come into your life, he can change you. And when you get the word of God changing your life and changing your thoughts and changing all those things about you, when you ask God to transform you, you can become a different person. You can't start this. You don't, first of all, see the problem. Number two, you've got to get God's word in your heart. Number three, ask God to transform you. This morning I want to show you a video from a guy who embodies this. It's a short video today. It talks about how attitude can have positive consequences too. This guy, this guy was on Oprah, okay, so this is a, a, a part of Oprah. I'm not endorsing Oprah. I'm not an Oprah fan. But this guy has, shows us what attitude can do. So I want to show you guys this morning, this is a short video about this guy named Nick Voljic, who, well, you'll see here, goes through in a tough situation, has an incredible attitude, and how God delivers him. Watch the video.
<laughs> what a story, huh? What you don't see in that story, and unfortunately, uh, there's many videos out there about Nick, and, and uh, we didn't have time to watch the full story because um, it's too long and it's too much. But uh, what you didn't see there, and of course, because this is Oprah, you know, there's a certain twist on this and such, but uh, um, his transformation had nothing, had really little to do with just this positive thinking thing that he had. He admits this. Other things where he says, my transformation came place. And he mentioned there a little bit when he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And he allowed Jesus to transform and change his life and become a new person. And the things that were around him, the, the difficulty in his life was no longer his force and no longer his center that he had seen so much of his life. It became Jesus and what he could do through him. And Nick is a, is a guy, you can tell he's from, he's from uh, Australia. He's a guy that around the world, and he, and he preaches, and he preaches crusades in and, and, and parts of the world, and he preaches Jesus, and he, he preaches about him. Think about how easy it would have been for a guy like Nick, with no arms and no legs, to just stop and say, well, you know what, God doesn't care, God doesn't do this, God doesn't do that, so I'm going to give it up. Yet here he is on a national TV, on a program like Oprah, being able to say the words, Jesus Christ. You know what? I couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. God has an ability to do amazing things through those who realize that he is able to do amazing things, right? That's where faith comes in. Faith prepares us to be that kind of person. God challenges us and God changes us. Now that's not always an easy thing, is it? Because life happens, right? Things happen around us. But God's called us to have our lives renewed. God's called us to have our minds renewed by not just positive thinking. It's not just thinking better, is it? No. It's renewed by his word. Renewed by the power of his word. Renewed by him. Changing us and making us brand new people. And then he comes. He transforms us. I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. This morning. Nick is not just a testimony of a good attitude. Nick is a testimony of the power of the Holy Spirit to change our lives. This is where I want to challenge this morning. Church, your attitude can be a, a, a brick wall or it can be a, an open window to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and to change your life. What's it going to be for you this morning? Is your life going to be an open door? Or is your, is your attitude going to be a window that says, God, come and, and make me and mold me and, and, and move me, Lord. Make me the person you want me to be. I know I have limitations, Lord. I know I have things that, that say I can't do this or say I can't do that. But, Lord, I believe what you say about me. Lord, I want to believe your truth about me. Lord, I want to live your life about me. And sometimes this isn't just about, you know, doing better or thinking better. This is about us getting victory over sin and victory over things in our lives that we need. It all starts by coming back to the same. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ is yours this morning. Lord, I want that today. I want you to stand, want you to stand across this room this morning. Stand up today. Let's just stand up, keep your head bowed, eyes closed this morning. No one, no one looking around today. And I got to ask you this morning, if you are, are here with us and, and you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, this is your chance today to know him personally this morning. If that's you today, you've never asked him to come into your life and to change you and to make you and to mold you. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand this morning. 
and you'd like to today, this is your chance to do this. I'm going to just give a few moments today, because then we're going to praise a church. But if that's you today, you've never had Christ come into your life, but you want to now, if that's you, raise your hand. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. No looking around, because again, if we're going to be honest today, none of us have an attitude like Jesus. But we do have a yardstick in Jesus. Lord, I want my attitude to be like you. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you just to lift your hands, do whatever. Let's pray today, and I want to ask a blessing over our lives in this church. Lord Jesus, give us an attitude like yours. Lord, give us an attitude of love. Lord, an attitude of forgiveness. An attitude, Lord, of not bitterness. Lord, of, of not anger. Lord, an attitude of peace. An attitude of hope. Lord, an attitude of, of faith, Lord Jesus. Lord, let our attitude be guided by you, Lord Jesus. Lord, let you be our yardstick. Lord, let your word form and shape the thoughts in our minds. We pray this over our lives in your name, Lord Jesus.